Thanks for checking out the First Monroe Podcast. Our hope is that you are restored by the gospel as you live devoted to Jesus. All right, we've been in a series uh, entitled Faithful, walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or click there, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I wanted to give you just a quick, a quick recap and a reminder of where we've been because that dictates of where we're going um, further. So last week we had Go Day, so we, we didn't meet last week. And so all of you that came and served and helped, and man, just thank you so much. I've heard from a lot of the different sites and the people have just poured out just how much they're thankful for all the work that you were willing to serve last week. And so the week before that, obviously we've slept a lot since then, but the week before that, we, I want to direct your attention to the end of chapter 3, and there's a prayer that he prays for the church. And so I want to read, read you this prayer just to remind you of what he prayed and what we looked at. He says this in, at the end, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of the saints. And so we've been walking through this whole idea of like being faithful. And he turns his attention at the end of chapter 3 and begins to pray for something. And he actually prays for three things for the believers. And we listed these those weeks, and it was this. He prays that they would pursue holiness. He prays that they would abound in love and that they, number three, would live in hope. And so what he's going to do from this prayer transition to where we're going today is he's now going to dive deeper into these three things, pursuing holiness, abounding in love, and living in hope. And so he's going to, he prayed for these things, but now he's going to give instructions in these things because if I could say this, like, because a lot of times we talk about this idea of being faithful and like, what are the characteristics of what it will look like if we're faithful to Jesus? And I think these are three, these are not the only things, but these are three great things, I believe, in the days ahead of what we should look like in order to be faithful is pursuing holiness, abounding in love, and living in hope. And so we're going to walk through those things um, today, So, or actually over the next three weeks. So if you take notes this morning, I want to give you the main point of what we'll look at this morning, all right? And it's this. In order to be faithful, we must pursue holiness. In order to be faithful, we must pursue holiness. This is what he addresses first, all right? If you have your Bible, I want you to look down in verses 1 and 2. And here's the way that he kind of starts this transition. He says, Finally, then, brothers and sisters, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So what this marks is in chapter 4 is this new transition. So if you remember... As we've walked through Thessalonians, it hasn't been any instructions given. It's just been like, man, I want to remind you of the gospel work that's been done in you. Man, I want to encourage you for the work that the Spirit's doing in your life. Man, I want to encourage you and praise you of all that, man, God, to see God's work. And so that's up to this point, it's been all of that. There's been no instructions. There's no been, here's commands given. But right at the end of this prayer and then moving into chapter 4, it's where he begins to give some instructions. So notice what he says, finally... Brothers and sisters, and he says this, we, we're going to ask and urge something of you. Now, it's not this idea, this just the way you can think of, because I think about my, my kids. It's not the way like a dad would talk to his kids. It's more of the way that a brother would talk to a brother. Or, or a brother would talk to a sister. It's this idea of not this like father talking down to his children, but he's like, hey, side by side, I'm gonna, I want to ask you and urge you. He's already praised him. And he, actually, in this, he says this, man, you're already doing these things. 
But here's what I want to make sure that, that you do so more and more. He says that you are walking in order to please God, that you're walking in the right way. And one of the things that I wrote down, just, just, to, just so that we know this as we were walking down, is like, you can't just walk any way that you want in order to please God. I, and we're going to talk about this this morning, but in the culture in which we live and the culture in which they existed in, is that there's this idea of like, hey, pick your own journey, pick your own path. Like, if you think this is how you're going to please God, like, go for that. And like, very clearly he's saying, look, I've taught you and instructed you. There is a certain way in which you're to walk in order to please God. You can't just like be like, uh, I think I'm just going to choose this way and hope this way, please. So he said, look, I've instructed you very clearly. Like, this is the way in which you're to walk. And he says, I want you to do so more and more. You're already going that direction. It's almost like Paul saying this. I want to double down on this. I want to double click on it. And I just want you to make sure, hey, you are doing these things. I see it in your life, but you need to progress more and more. And so I think that's a good word for us. Everyone, everyone in this room watching online right now or watching later, as we talk about pursuing holiness, abounding in love, living in hope, there's nobody in this room that can be like, you know what, I'm there. I've made it. I have, I have too much holiness. I give too much love away. And I'm just super hopeful all the time. None of us. And so just, just, just so we're aware of this, is no one in this room is like, man, I, I'm, I've made it. Because here's what he's saying, man, there's still work to be done in you. Like you need to pursue this more and more. You already are. But continue to, and what basically Paul is going to lay out in this first part is one of the ways in which we walk to please God is to pursue holiness, all right? So here's what I'm going to do. Here's the way it'll kind of sit up this morning is I want to kind of ask some questions and then we're going to work through it, okay? So if you take notes, here's the first question is why do we need to pursue holiness? So this is, again, this is the whole idea. In order to be faithful, we need to pursue holiness. Here's the question, why? And what Paul does in the first section in the very last part of this is he's going to answer this of here's why you need to pursue holiness all of us and so if you take notes here's the answer it's because holiness is God's will and calling for our life holiness is God's will and God's calling for all of our life look down in verse 3 and I just want you to look at the first part of, of verse 3 and he says this for this is the will of God your sanctification now, if you were to take this word sanctification and translate it, is that it literally means holy. There's other places in this passage where actually the word holy is used. It's the same word used here. They just translate it sanctification. But it's the same word. And literally translated what this word to sanctify or to, to make holy literally means this idea to be distinctly different, to be set apart. This is what this whole idea of holiness is. So just to give you just an illustration, like I don't know if you remember back, it's been a, it's been a minute since we walked through the book of Exodus. But when you walk through the book of Exodus and you walk through the, uh, uh, the Old Testament, when you look at the tabernacle or the temple, there are there's certain items, there are certain utensils, there are certain things that are placed within the temple or tabernacle, or even the priest itself, and there's a, usually a language that's, that's around these different utensils and priests, is that they are holy to the Lord, Me, meaning like a lampstand. Lampstands existed everywhere, but why is it that that was, which was in the temple or the tabernacle was holy to the Lord? It's because it's, it was set apart for a totally different use. And so it's this idea, when you think of this idea, of when it talks about this idea of holiness, it means to be distinct, different, set apart, all of these things. And so here's what, notice what Paul says. For this is God's will, your holiness. Now, I've been around church for quite a long time. And one of the things that I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard too, is people ask this question, what is God's will for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? I mean, I think we all ask that question, don't we? I mean, like, what does God, what does God want me to do? What is God's purpose for me? 
And very clear, let me state it very clearly, God's will and God's purpose for every single follower of Jesus is for you to be holy. That's God's purpose for you. That's God's will for you. If you're saying, man, I want to know what God's will for my life is, then that's it. I mean, very clearly stated in verse 3, he says, this is God's will for you, your holiness and your sanctification. And the reason why that is, is because God is holy. God is distinct from everything. He is set apart. That's one of the things, if you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll see this characterized of God in his character is he is holy, 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 holy. He is holy in his love. He is holy in his righteousness. He is holy in his goodness and his grace. He is set apart, distinctly different from all of us. And actually, I want to read this passage. This comes out of 1 Peter chapter 1 because Peter picks up on this same idea of our holiness is rooted in who called us because he's holy. And notice what he says, 1 Peter 1, 15. He says, but he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So notice what he says. Again, this same thing. This is the calling for your life to be holy in all of your conduct. Why? Because God is holy. Because God is distinctly different. That those who follow him, those who are called by him, are to reflect him and to resemble him in our life. I mean, if you think about what what is our purpose, it's to glorify God. It's to point people to him. It's to reflect him. That's what you were made for. That's what I was made for. And this whole idea of this whole thing is like, man, this is God's will and purpose for you. As he has saved you, sanctified you, it's for this. So that you would pursue holiness in your life. I want you to notice, I want to skip to the very end of this passage because I want to see how he sums it up. Look at verse 7 and 8, and I want want to read that for you, and I want you to see the way he ends it up. He says this, For God has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. And then he says this, verse 8, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So again, he says the, reiterates the same thing. He has called you to be distinctly different from the world. And he continues this, and as we continue with everything we're going to talk about this morning, I think we need to reflect, and I want to go back and read verse 8, and I want you just to hear what he says again. He says, whoever disregards this, meaning what he just said, all that we're about to look at, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So here's what Paul's saying, to reject this is to reject God, which there's a lot of weight to that. And so here's what I'll say. We're going to about to walk through some fun stuff on Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure you're like, man, I'm glad. If you're a visitor here, you're like, man, what a Sunday I picked to come to First Monroe. Because we're going to talk about some heavy things this morning because that's exactly what he does in this passage. But I think one of the things that we need to be reminded of and be humbled by, because here's just the truth. We've already looked through this earlier, of this idea of you want to be faithful, we need the Word of God in our life. And here's the truth of every single one of us. At some point, and multiple points probably in our life, is that your desires, your wants, your needs are going to conflict with what the Word of God says. That's going to happen. There are going to be things that you want, you want to go after. The, the proverb says this, there's a way that seems right in the heart of man and woman. And so there's this reality of like, there are times that you're going to be like, well, I want this, or I need this, or I want to run for that. And there's going to be times that that, man, what we want is going to conflict with what the Word of God says. And so in this moment, I think we need to humbly submit to this idea of say, hey, man, we want to humbly hear what God has to say. Not to disregard it, because he says, hey, if you disregard this, you're not disregarding Paul. He's saying you're disregarding God himself and what he wants for his kids. And so we need to hear this. So here's what I want to do. Before I move to the second question, I just want you to think, if you want to write this down, but I just want you just a rhetorical question, think of this. And this is this idea. Do you look distinctly different 
from the world around you? Like, do you look different than the culture, the world? And when I say this, and we'll say this a couple times, I'm not saying in what you say. Like, here's what we believe as Christians. I'm saying your actual everyday life. If someone were to sit and look at your everyday life, would they say that it's different? Because here's what he's asking and calling for us to do is we are to pursue a life that looks distinctly different. So that's the first part. Let's move to the second question that we'll look at, and that is how will holiness work itself out in our everyday life? So how will this work itself out? Uh, Obviously, we can make this statement. We are called to be holy in every area of our life, all of us. Every area of our life, we're called to be distinctly different and holy and set apart to the Lord and all of that. But one of the things that Paul does, as you'll see in just a second is that he has a very specific way that he wants to present of the way that holiness shows up in the life of a believer. And if you want to take notes, it's simply this. How does the holiness work itself out in our life? And it works itself out through sexual purity. Look down at verse 3. I want you to see what he says. He says, For this is the will of God for your, uh, will of God, your sanctification. And then he follows it up with this. That you abstain from sexual immorality. In the whole middle passage of this whole text on holiness, he devotes all of it toward this idea of being holy and set apart in the realm of sexuality. And so this is this whole thing that we're going to look at. So the remainder of our time this morning, this is all we're going to talk about. Again, you're like, great Sunday that I came to First Monroe. But I would just say this as we walk through this. I think this is a word that's needed for us. And so here's what I want to do. Before we jump into the text, and this may seem like a weird way to start, but I want to give you the sexual landscape of the Greco-Roman world, okay? So I want to lay out an overview of the culture in which these people, first century in Thessalonica, the world in which they grew, they're, they're in. Because I think that's helpful for us as we think through, as we see these instructions to say, hey, what type of environment are they in? Because I think sometimes, and I guess maybe it's because sometimes we're so nearsighted, is we have this tendency to think that the time in which we live, the culture in which we live, it's the worst ever. And man, when you walk through this, I don't know if that's true. It was pretty bad back during this first century in the Greek and Roman world. It's different. Obviously, they didn't have iPhones and computers and all those kind of things. But man, when you look at what, they, what these Christians grew up in and what they were pulled out of is, I don't know if ours is worse. And so I think this is just a good reminder for us because we can think, well, man, our nation, our world, all this is the worst. But I just want you to give you just a general sense of this culture that these people grew up in. So this was a highly sexualized culture, okay? They believed, and this is this Greek-Roman thing, they believed in gratifying your every desire. If you had a want, if you had anything, they tried to eliminate anything that would hinder you from finding your sexual fulfillment. Men were allowed in this time frame to have sex outside of marriage. However, the women were not. This is why many prostitution houses existed during this time. I want to read this quote. This is this idea. It says, The main cause of prostitution was the Greek view of life, which regarded sexual intercourse as natural and necessary and justifiable as eating and drinking. And so here's, this is why this is just running rampant. It's just as you would think, is it natural for you to get food at lunch? It's just as natural for you to gratify every desire that you have in sexuality. This is the culture. There was adultery, fornication, homosexuality, transgenderism, pedophilia, widespread pornographic erotic perversions that existed in this time. And this was just normal life. 
But it wasn't just in their normal life, which I think is crazy. It also had, had infiltrated into every single fabric of their religious life as well. So here's something that they had, and this is in that, and especially around this place, around Corinth. Of course, Paul devotes a lot of time to address this topic in his book, The, the Corinthian Church. Is in the temples, they had what was called cult prostitutes. And many of these temples had thousands of these cult prostitutes that were there, and their sole purpose was to sleep with men that came, and they believed this was the way that they would worship their gods, was through sleeping with these cult prostitutes. I want you just for a second, I mean, this is, when I was reading about it, I'm like, it just doesn't seem real. I mean, can you imagine, like, me telling my wife and be like, hey, honey, I got to go worship. I'm going to go sleep with a cult prostitute, but I'll be back at lunch at Piccadilly at 12. Like, I'll meet you and the fam back there. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this was how normal this was. I mean, so this wasn't just like normal life. This was infused in their religious life. I mean, this was just normal, everyday, mundane. This is how this is. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine if you grew up in this culture, this is all you've ever known. You don't know anything different. Like, like even here in our nation, there's a, there's a level of there's been Christian values taught. There, that's, not, that's not the case here. So this is just, I want you to imagine you growing up in this environment and then you hear the gospel for the first time. You hear the gospel, you hear what Christ has done for you and restored you. You put your faith as the, this church and these people had. These men and women put their faith in Jesus. They trusted God for their salvation. And the gospel begins to work out in their life. The Holy Spirit begins to do his work and to restore their life, to restore the way they view things and see things and address things. And then Paul begins to work through of one of the ways that the gospel works out in their everyday life is the way that they view and deal with sex in the way in which they had seen it done and the way the radically different the way the gospel tells it. And really when you read through church history, especially the first century, one of the things you see is one of the primary factors that separated the church to prove that they were faithful was their view of sexuality. And this is one of the things going through this. And so here's, here's why I say all of that is because let's apply that to us. We also live in a very sexualized culture, don't we? Filled with mass amounts of pornography. I wrote a couple of stats down. The porn industry generates more income than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS. More combined revenues of the NFL, NBA, and MLB. In the U.S., the porn industry generates 15 to $97 billion a year. This was a crazy stat I read. Again, I found it on the internet, so it may not be right. But hear what it says. More people view internet pornography every month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And what's crazy is, and more stats, I'm not going to go through more stats, but this is not just a world problem. This is very much a church problem. That this doesn't just exist in our culture. That many times this same thing exists right here in our church. There's adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism, sex, slavery, pedophilia, prostitution, sexual abuse, rape, and the list is long in our culture. And so here's what I want us to see as we're about to walk through these things. I think the instructions that Paul gives this church in Thessalonica of the ways that it will look like to be faithful, I think is just as much needed today as it was back then. And the way that's going to prove to us to be faithful is our pursuit of holiness in the realm of sexuality. And so let me, let me give you one caveat, one statement, and then we'll look through what he says throughout this passage, okay? It's just a remind, reminder to all of us. This instruction that he's giving is not written to the culture, it's written to the church. Because it'd be very easy for us to hear this and be like, man, the culture needs to hear this message. If 
you flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you'll notice who the, letter, who the letter is written to. It's not written to Thessalonica. It's written to the church in Thessalonica. And so one of the things I think that we need to hear walking through this, this is a word for the church living in the culture in which they live. And so this is not a word for the culture. This is a word for you and me. As we think through our life, of, of we have been called by the gospel and what pursuit of holiness should look like in our life. All right, so third question that we'll look at and then we'll walk through things that he deals with in the text and then we'll end with some practical at the end. But here, here it is, how to pursue holiness. How do we pursue holiness? And what Paul does in the last part is he begins to walk through of what it looks like to pursue holiness or sexual purity. Okay, so if you take notes, it's three things that he's going to list out. How do we stay holy in our culture is this. Number one, abstain from sexual immorality. Number one, abstain from sexual immorality. Look at verse three. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is what he calls. This is the way holiness works out. The pursuit of holiness represents in and looks like abstaining from sexual immorality. So let's define what sexual morality is. So I want to first define it by what it's not or the positive side, and then we'll look at the negative side. Okay, so what is, what is sexual purity, the rightness, biblical standard, what does it look like? So let me just give it to you simply. When you survey Scripture, when you see what God has designed for sex to be and all of these things, here's what you will find. From Genesis to Revelation, as you put them all together, you'll see this, that sex was meant to exist in a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. It's the way it was designed to be. I wrote this quote down. I was talking to uh, Tyler Shockey this week, a counselor, and we were talking through some of these things. And he made this statement that was really profound to me. And, and I want you to listen to what he says. says. Here's God's intention for our life. is the most intimate act that you could commit, which is sex, was designed to fit in the most committed institution, which was marriage. Like this was God's design. I mean, to think about the most intimate act that someone could commit with another human being, which is sex, was designed by God to fit within the most committed of all contexts and institutions that God created, which was marriage. And I think just to say this, and I think this just reminds us of the way that sin has warped our minds and all these things. Is like when you think about sex and all that God, I mean, it is a beautiful thing that God has created. This is God's intention. This is God's creation. This is what God has designed this thing for. But here's what you see. From Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the picture and disobedience, everything became twisted. The way in which we saw everything. From, I mean, not, and not just sex. I mean, just in general. I mean, notice even there, it has this like sexualized overtone to it. It's like, notice one of the first things it mentions is they recognized that they were naked and they hid themselves. And for the very first time, they felt shame. At this point, there has been sexual morality. At this point, and again, this goes back to all of us. Every single one of us, if you're a human being with a heartbeat, you all have sinful, selfish, flesh desires. And because of that, we have now sought from that point. We have taken God's gift and removed it from its proper place and twisted it and used it to our own benefit. And we all have, and people have different desires and the way that it works out in their life, but that's, that's what we've done. And that's what sin is caused. And so what Paul says is to abstain from sexual morality. So if you want to look at that Greek word, sexual morality, literally translate, it means it, it, it's this, porneia. Isn't that interesting? This is the phrase that's used. Porneia is the Greek term for sexual morality. And it's this all-encompassing word that describes anything that goes against God's word and God's standard for sexual behavior. 
And so this, so this, this is all-encompassing words. Anything that you can think of removed from what sexual purity is, anything outside of that is considered sexual morality. And here's what he says, to abstain from it, which means to stay completely away from it. Don't go near it. Don't, don't run to it. Don't go near it. I want to give you a couple of verses just so that you can see this because this is this adage all throughout Scripture of this idea. It's like don't stand firm against it, like run from it, get away from it, don't go near it. And so let me give you a couple. Proverbs 6, 27 through 28. Here's what he says. Can a man, and actually Proverbs 6 and 5, and a lot of these had this idea and it talks a lot about sexual morality and adultery and it personifies it as this woman enticing someone. And notice what he says in this Proverbs 6, 27. He says this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? This is where we get the phrase, don't play with fire. If you play with fire, what happens? You get burned. And so this is this whole idea. It's like, don't play around with it. If you play around with fire, you will get burned. And so he used that in this idea of the same thing. Let's look at another one, 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits outside of the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. So notice what the phrase is. Flee. Don't stand. Don't get near it. He says run from it. Flee from sexual morality. Let's look at one more. Ephesians 5, 3. But sexual morality and all impurities or covetous is not even to be named among you as is proper for the saints. So notice what Paul says in that. He says, it's not even to be, a hint of it is not even to be named in the midst of us, which is crazy. And Paul's saying this, man, if you want to be holy and pursue holiness, then here's what you need to do. You need to get as far away as possible from sexual sin. Because let's, let's say we can be honest in the room. And I, I'm saying this from firsthand knowledge and experience. Man, sexual sin and temptation is a strong enticement. There's no wonder why throughout Scripture, many times it says, like, don't do this, but it says for sexual sin, like, run from it. Just get away from it. It's because, man, our desires and our flesh and our longings and all these things, man, they are dangerous and enticing. And even you go back to Eve of that, she saw it as the fruit good, and, man, it, it looked like it would satisfy her, so she just goes after it. And, man, this is the human heart. So this is why this idea why he says, man, if you want to pursue holiness in our culture and our time with regard to sexual purity, he says, man, you just got to get away from it, abstain from sexual morality. This is the first thing he gives. Second is this, is to exercise self-control. Exercise self-control. So you don't have to turn there, but if you turn to Galatians chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, verses 22, 23, it begins to list the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. And one of them is self-control. One of the evidences of God's work in us is this fruit of self-control. So with that in mind, look at what Paul says. Look at verse 4 and 5. He says that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he says this, Paul says this, that we should know how or discover how, how to control our bodies, meanings that we're to control our urges, our desires, and our wants. Now, just so that we're, we're on a heavy topic, so let's move off of this topic and let's just talk about food, for example. Okay, so for me, again, you know this. You know the temptations that I face. I live very close to Eskimos. Okay, super close. 
And, and I, you know, work out in the morning, try to eat healthy during the day, intermittent fasting, all this kind of good stuff. And then if you've had a long day, hard day, we're sitting on the couch later that evening, kids have gone to bed. Eskimo stays open until 10 or 11 at night. And, uh, and you're sitting there and you're like, man, nothing would be better right now than a volcano from Eskimos, which is cold vanilla custard, warm chocolate chip cookies, hot fudge, it's good. Don't get the meanie, get the regular. Don't, 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 settle, for, don't settle for that, right? And so when you think about it, you're like, oh man, that sounds so good. And this reality of like, man, you think about this, there's, there's this thing, you're like, I know I don't need to, but like, you're like, but I want it. And it's going to taste good. Even though I know it's not healthy for me, it's not good for me, I have goals of what I want to achieve, this is not going to go anywhere to help my goals. But again, you, it feels so strongly, doesn't it? It feels as these urges in us. And this idea of what he's speaking of here is this same idea, but with regards to sexuality. Meaning this, you can't, as a follower of Jesus, we're not to just give into every desire and every urge and everything that we want. And I think that's what we've been taught. This, this culture taught this. Our culture has taught this. If you have a desire, if you have an urge, if you have a want, then you have the license to pursue it at whatever cost you want. It doesn't matter. And here's what the gospel says. That's not true. That one of the evidences of the way that this works out of holiness in our life is this idea of self-control. And actually, Paul says something super extreme. He says, the people that give in to all of their desires are the people that don't know God. Look what he says. He says, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I mean, Paul's not holding back at this point. I mean, he's like just saying like this, look, if you just give in to everything that you want all of the time, that is not of God. That's what lost people do. And I think, and just, just caveat right there just for a second. Look, it, look, if we look around at our world and you're like people that don't know Jesus, like we should never be shocked and be like, I can't, how dare they? I can't believe they don't live out what scripture says. Of course they're not. They don't know Jesus. And this is what he's trying to bring about. Like, uh, only those who know Jesus should have this idea of self-control in this. So, so here, let me say this for us. This, this is just uh, it's convicting. If you, in the passions of your own lust, consistently give in to sexual desires whenever you want, either there's two things. Either one, you're acting like a non-believer, or two, you actually are a non-believer. He says this, this is not, one of the byproducts of the Spirit of God and the grace in our life is this fruit of self-control. I mean, think, let's think about this. Think about when Jesus Christ called us. If you remember, if you go to the Gospels, how did he call us? If anyone wants to come after me, let him what? Deny himself. This is the entry point in following Jesus is this denial of self like, this is at the onset. This is like, this is Jesus' invitation to us. If I, hey, you want to follow me, it begins with denying yourself, your wants, your needs, your urges, your desires, your hopes, your, like all of these things. And we lay them down at the feet of Jesus to say, hey, I, even if my desires like, go against what you want, God, I'm willing to humbly submit myself because I'm denying myself to follow after you. And this is to be the life of every believer. This isn't like some special person or pastor or missionary. In a, like this is every single follower of Jesus. This is what we've been called to live. We have been called to live out a life that is self-controlled and disciplined. This is the way the holiness works out. I, I want you to think of this passage. I want to read this passage. This is what causes me pause. Proverbs five twenty three. Again, it's a warning against this whole idea of personifying adultery and sexual morality. And basically, he begins to be enticed by it. And I want you to see what this verse says. 
Verse 523 says, he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. He says this, if you give in to every single desire that you want, it will never leave anywhere good. Charles Swindoll has this quote, no one remains pure by accident. We could change the phrase for a second. No one pursues holiness by accident. This is the idea, man, if you and I want to be walk after and walk and pursue holiness, it begins with exercising self-control. Number three is what he says. Number three is to remember the damage that sexual morality causes. I want you to look at verse six. He says, see that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is avenger in all of these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warns you. So here's what he says, this idea of don't transgress or harm a brother or sister. I don't know if you've ever heard this illustration, um, but sometimes people can, can um, associate sex with fire. And so there's this illustration, if you think about it, if you have a fireplace in your house, if you were to light a fire in your house, and obviously if the fire stays in the fireplace, it's good, it's warm, it's enjoyable to watch. I mean, it's, it's this beautiful thing. But the, but the moment that fire comes out of the fireplace into the home, it now becomes something very dangerous to the house, right? Because if the fire gets out of the fireplace, it will burn literally the whole house down. And in the same way, it's this reality. When you remove sex from God's intended standard and you take it out of that, here's what it will lead to every single time. Harm and shame. And I would, again, just so we can be honest in this room, I I would be willing to bet every single person probably in this room, you've been touched by the harm of sexual morality in some way. That you felt the damages that sexual morality causes. The pain, the shame. There's no sin to me and again, this is just this personal James here. Of all the sins in my life, there's no sin that produces more shame in my life than sexual sin. Produces brokenness. And sexual morality doesn't just harm us, it harms the souls of other people. And this is what, this is what Paul is bringing up. Like, hey, sexual sin, be careful. Because it not only harms you, but it also, he says, don't, see that you don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. Meaning, a couple different things. Meaning, one is, as you're pursuing holiness, don't cause another brother and sister to stumble so that you're just living however you want. And then a brother or sister in Christ, younger than you, sees you and says, well, they, they do whatever they want. So, obviously, that's cool. And so he says, hey, don't cause your brother or sister to stumble in that way. But also, there's this adage of, hey, man... Don't harm people because what you're doing, even think of these like cult prostitutes at these temples, like what you're doing is harming people. Like participation in this is harmful. And here, here look, th- th- this is just reality, man. Reading through, and this is really sad, like reading through and studying for this sermon was obviously super heavy. Looking through sexual morality throughout history, the first century, our culture, and you just, here's one thing that I, I just wrote this down, and here's just the truth. Man, when you look through history, when sexual morality is rampant, women suffer. I mean, read through history. Even in this time, men could have affairs, but women couldn't. And so women just had to sit by the wayside, and men could do whatever they wanted, and they used women as objects of their own pleasure. Because of their own pleasures running rampant, it caused this prostitution slave culture that existed. I mean, even think about now, the porn industry, we say, well, it's not hurting anybody. I'm just watching on a screen. It's not hurting anybody. But the reality, the amount of women that suffer at the hands of these industries... 
the sexual harm that is caused, the sex trade that takes place. Like, it's just a reality, man. Like, when sexual immorality is rampant in a culture, here's what you will find. Women will suffer. I'm not saying men don't. I'm not saying men aren't harmed by these things. But here's just the adage that you'll see. Women are treated as objects, not as bearers of the image of God. And Paul gives this stark warning to these people and says, Hey, you need to be very careful in this. Why? Because God is an avenger and he will bring justice to all the harm that you bring about through your sexual morality. Like God sees all this. God has seen it all throughout the centuries. He sees the harm that all this has caused. Like sexual morality is not neutral. And that's what our world would have us to think. It's just neutral. It doesn't harm anybody. It's not destructive. It's not anything. But here's this, man, look through. The injustice is just stacking up all throughout history. And here's what God reminds, hey, man, you need to be warned about this because, man, it is causing harm and I will get vengeance. And so you need to be aware of these things as you think through them and as you walk through them. And so Paul lists all of these things as he walks through this whole passage. If you want to be faithful in the culture and pursue holiness, then these are the things you must do. All right? So now, let me follow this up, and I want to do some application of this in our life, of how do we actually be holy. So we've listed all these things. You're like, I'm just looking at the time and ready to get out of here. But well, I want to finish with a couple things of how do we actually be holy. Because I don't want to leave you with, hey, good luck, abstain, see ya, have a good week. Is I want us to ground ourselves of what is, how does this look like? So what are some practices? So let me give us some practical things. Okay, so if you take notes, here's the first one. Number one is to remember the gospel. You know, one of the things, if you look through Scripture, like one of the harmful things that sin does is it promises you what it cannot give you. That's what sin does. It promises so much. It promises to fulfill you and satisfy you. And here's what all of us in this room, if you have a pulse, you've recognized this. Sin never leads anywhere good. And here's this ancient old lie existed way back when and it still exists today. Sexual fulfillment and gratification can make you whole. And this is this ancient old lie that has existed ever since sin, is that if you pursue sexual fulfillment and gratification, it will make you whole. If you find the right partner, if you experience the right sex, if you walk in your desires, if you pursue the love that you want, you will be made whole. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And I'll just, just to be honest again, I know that's a lie because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen the devastation that sexual morality does in our hearts. And here's yet, here's the, and I was just reminded as we sang, as we did communion, just the beauty of the gospel and all this, that God in his grace saw all of the stuff. He sees our junk, he sees sexual morality, he's seen it all throughout history. We think we have a vantage point, he's seen all of it, he's seen all of these things, and yet God in his grace did not leave us in this, but yet he sent Christ Jesus in the midst of all of that in order to redeem us and save us out of it. I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel, that God in his grace loves you and he wants to make you whole and you only can be made whole because of the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus Christ comes, we failed in every way to live up to God's standard, yet Jesus Christ in every way fulfilled God's standard of holiness. And that Jesus Christ on the cross dies on the cross to bear your shame, to bear your brokenness in all of the ways that sexual sin has touched your life. And man, that is on the gospel when he says, it is finished and it is done and it is covered. He meant for you. 
He meant for me that, man, it is covered by the gospel. And that's the good news of the gospel. Is that, man, in Jesus that we can be delivered from sexual sin, set free from it, find wholeness from it. That Jesus really can restore us and heal us. And he really does have a better way in which we are to live. And the solution to sexual morality is first and foremost the gospel. It frees us from our shame and it allows us and gives us the ability to actually pursue holiness. Because here's the reality, here's what the gospel reminds us of. You don't need your outside cleaned, you need your heart cleaned. This is the thing that I keep thinking about is this whole idea, man, the pursuit of holiness. You can't regulate holiness because holiness is a matter of the heart. If you go back to the prayer, what does he say? He says, prays that their hearts would be established in holiness. Because here's this reality, man. The only, again, it goes back to the Pharisees. He says, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's filthy. Because here's what you need. It's not for us to regulate all of us to be holy. What we need is we need to experience the gospel where he actually changes our hearts and our desires. Like this is the whole beauty of the gospel in all of this. And to allow the gospel to sink down deep for the grace to cover your past, your sexual sin, and your brokenness. We've already read this at the very beginning of Thessalonians, the way he phrased it up to him. He says this, if you're in Christ, you are loved by him. So as we walk through all of these things, I mean, obviously there's a lot of strong statements that Paul makes here, but I just want to, again, first and foremost, I want to remind you of the gospel. If you're sitting here and you're just like, man, goodness gracious, I got a lot of junk in my life. Well, thank goodness for, the, for his grace because it's a whole lot bigger than your sin. And what you and I need to be reminded of in all of this, your ability to walk in holiness is because Jesus walked holy for you. And you can be covered and made whole. So number one, remember the gospel. Number two is to address your weakness. It's just practical of what we need to do. If you go back to verse four, he said, let each one of you know how to control his own or her own body. This word know speaks of this out of this intimate knowledge this idea of like, hey, you need to know yourself. You need to know what is, what is your weakness. You need to understand those things so that you may be able to exercise self-control. So we need, to, we need to address our weaknesses. So let me give you just a couple. They're just going to be a quick list of things. All right. One is this, is to know your triggers. One is to know your triggers. So it's this, it's this idea. All of us are tempted in a lot of different ways. And we need to understand, hey, what triggers this? So I was talking to Tyler this week, and he gave me this acronym. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'll say it very slowly for us. And it's a great acronym, not just for addiction or not just for sexual sin. It could be for a lot of things. But here's what he says. Here's where you need to be very wary in your life is when this happens. And the acronym is BLAST. All right? B is when you're bored. L is when you're lonely. A is when you're angry. S is when you're stressed. And T is when you're tired. So you need to be careful when you're bored, lonely, angry, stressed, or tired. And everybody says amen. Right? You read through that list, you're like, yep, I've, I've done a lot of things in those states. where I've, And it's this thing. So here's, what, here's this idea. Be aware of that. If you're at home by yourself, bored, be aware of that. Man, if you're feeling stressed and angry inside, be aware of that. Man, that's when the enemy wants to come against us. So we need to know and understand like, hey, where am I at? So this helps us to avoid, this helps us to do those things. That's one. Number two is go to counseling. Let me just say this caveat for this in the room. And obviously there's a spectrum of things. But if you're in this room, and obviously, please don't raise your hand. But if you're in this room, and man, if you've experienced severe sexual trauma in your life, you need to go see someone to process that with. 
If you're in this room and you're dealing with super strong sexual addictions and desires, you, you need to go talk to a counselor. You need to go process through your brokenness and your struggles and the hurts and the things that, man, you've walked through in your life. Because, I mean, just when you walk through, I mean, sexual morality leaves a devastation of casualties. And there may be some things that have happened to you in your past that you've just tried to avoid. You've tried to be like, well, I'll just try real hard. But, but one of the first steps you may need to do is you may need to go talk to somebody. I have several people that I could recommend to you if you want to reach out this week. I, no judgment to you. But if you want to reach out or you want to shoot me a text or email, come by and talk this week. I have a couple of recommendations that I'd love to recommend you to if, that, if you say, hey, man, that, that's me. Number three is to seek accountability. So how do we do this? We, we don't walk alone. That's why last, or two weeks ago we saw we need the church. We bear one another's burdens. You need people in your life. I need people in my life. They can ask me hard questions that know intimate things about my life. They can ask me about those things. We need to seek accountability. Number four, put up guardrails. So it's not this idea of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'll be fine. Well, I need to download the software for my computer or my phone. I need to put up certain standards of, hey, as a married man, I'm not going to ride alone with another woman in another car. These certain standards that we say, hey, man, we need to put up, know what compromising situations may be and say, hey, we need to put up guardrails in our life. Because the person is like, man, I don't need any guardrails. That's the person that falls. To say, hey, man, look, I need guardrails. I don't know about you. I need them in my life. Because, again, as we've said before, we're all one decision away from stupid. All of us. And so we need guardrails. We need things in our life. So, so, so as we say this, it may be like, man, hey, I need to put up some guardrails in my life. All right? Number three, last one of how do we pursue holiness. And I love this. Number three is walk by the Spirit. I love and I want to highlight the last phrase in, chapter, in verse 8 of this whole passage. And here's what he says. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. And then he says this phrase who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I love it. I love the way this is how Paul ends. Is here's what he reminds. Your ability to pursue holiness and purity is because the Holy Spirit has been given to you. That's, that's how you can do this. Like It's not like he's like, man, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try, try real hard. He says this. He reminds them, in order to pursue this, remind you of this truth. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to you in order for this to happen. So I want to read a passage. This is a familiar passage, Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. And this is this whole thing. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The Spirit against the desires of, of the Spirit, against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And here's all of us know this, man. The flesh in us, man, it still exists. But here's what we're to do constantly is to humbly submit ourselves to the Spirit under His control and under what He's doing in our life. That when our desires go up or when they go against what Scripture says, that we just say humbly, Holy Spirit, we submit to you. We submit to your leading and your guiding to seek the Holy Spirit through prayer, through the Word. Because like, here's this reality. Like, I love talking about discipline and self-control, but here's this reality. You don't have enough discipline or self-control to do this. You and I have to be dependent upon the Spirit's work in our life. And this is all of it. The Spirit's work of self-control. The Spirit's work in all of these things. Church, as we've walked through this, and, I, and look, I, I get this. This, is, this is, has been a heavy one. Um, I struggled all week working. I stayed up super late on Friday trying to finish this. And it's not because I didn't understand what the text was saying. It's just heavy. 
And it's heavy, but also I think it's a word that's needed for us as the church. And here's what I believe. I'll say this. In the days ahead, what will look like and for us to be faithful to Jesus is not lessening God's standard for holiness, but rather upholding God's standard of holiness for our life. And when I say that, I mean this. Of not just us teaching and preaching holiness, but us actually pursuing it in our everyday life. Because here's what's the tricky part, and I want to close with this question, and then we'll pray. And it's simply this question. Are you practically pursuing holiness in your everyday life? Remember what I said earlier. This is not a message for the culture. This is a message for the church. And what's going to prove us faithful is us, are we people that are pursuing holiness, looking like Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we we just need you in this moment. God, as we talk through all of the things in Scripture and, God, what you've laid out, God, these are hard things. These are touchy subjects that we don't always enjoy talking through. Holy Spirit, I pray, man, that just as Paul prayed, that you would establish our hearts in blamelessness and in holiness. God, help us to catch a vision of who you are, God, that you are a God that's holy and righteous and good. That, God, what you want for our life is the best. That, God, your ways and your plan is what's good. And, God, that we would trust that, that, God, we would believe that, that, God, we would walk in that, that, God, we would submit ourselves to that. And so, God, I just pray, God, that all of us, God, individually, And God, corporately, God, that you would in this moment, Holy Spirit, draw us to yourself, remind us of the goodness of the gospel. And God, we want to walk in a manner that's worthy. We want to walk in a manner that pleases you. So God, help us this morning. God, help us in our weakness. Help us in our sin. Help us, God, in our own desires and our flesh. Help us in ways that we failed. God, meet us in this. Meet us in in our mess and our brokenness. And God, show us the goodness of the gospel and the healing power of Jesus. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.